is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 12, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode, Fire and Water. You can find us on Google Play Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. You can rate us and review us and give us all the stars and all the ratings and all the love. That would be fantastic. Yes. And if you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. That's W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-O-U-G-H-T-H-E-S-T-A-R-G-A-T-E at gmail.com. Awesome. You can also talk to us on Twitter at Stargate Walking. Mm-hmm. And Brent? Yeah? There's some good news. Okay, I'm waiting for it. I got our Facebook page up today! Yay! Awesome! Woohoo! Woo-hoo! So you can go to our Facebook page called... Walking through the Stargate. Nice. Go figure. Uh, like us <laughs> on there. Uh, follow us there. You know, join us in conversation. Uh, tell us what you want to see, and uh, we can uh, engage with you on that. Yeah. Um, also, Brent, uh, our dear audiences may have uh, rec- noticed that last week we posted uh, two podcasts on uh, it was Thanksgiving Day. Wasn't yep. it that you dropped it off, both of them? Happy Thanksgiving. Sorry, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, this is also our attempt to try a weekly podcast. You know, a few yeah. podcasts ago, I said that we're going to do every other week or so. And we've tried that, and it's been well. And we're also thinking that we've got 10 seasons of Stargate to go through. <laughs> so <laughs> we might need to go a little bit faster than that. Um, yeah. Uh, so we're going to try weekly, and we'll see how things go from there. Through uh, thick and thin, including uh, this week. So Zach doesn't know it. We literally sat our butts down, hit the record button, and off we go. Uh, I've been fighting a sinus infection since Friday. Ooh. Yeah, Ooh. and so uh, I'm getting better. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> uh, shut off, you'll be stone cold dead in a minute. Um, uh, so I've got uh, I've got some halls next to the microphone. I've got my water over there, and I will turn away from the mic to hack and cough. So apologies but um we we carry on we we, yeah. we keep we keep it going because we are here for you dear listeners that's right we yeah. do this only for your enjoyment that's right not ours we don't enjoy this at all <laughs> this is a painful process nope. for us that's so, I, I it's so uh, laborious yes okay no we're just joking just so we're clear yeah <laughs> okay so shall we jump into fire and water yeah let's do it all right. So, Fire and Water was directed by Alan Eastman. Mm-hmm. Alan was born in 1950 in Canada. This is his only Stargate wait, SG-1. Wait, wait, wait. wait. So, was the stat that he was born in 1950 in Canada? Was there no other? Canada is a big place. <laughs> I didn't. There's know. a lot. There's a lot of Canada. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't you know that in Canada there is only one place that people are born? Oh, they it's the hatchery. The hatchery. And, and yeah. they're all born from the hatchery. And then they spread out to wherever else they need to go. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, anyway, I'm sorry. sorry. Okay, Carry okay. On. So, uh, Mr. Eastman, uh, this is his only SG-1 directing credit. Uh, mm-hmm. He's got a long list of directing credits that go back to the 70s. The Life and Times of Grizzly Adams, he directed an episode. Oh, okay. uh, I think it was last time we were talking about the 1990s RoboCop. Well, apparently Alan yes. directed three episodes of that. I, I got to see if this thing's on YouTube somewhere. Uh, that, 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 
that's got to be horrible to watch. You know, I, I didn't mean to ask you if you had uh, touched base on that. Nope. Seen any totally, that, so. totally forgot about uh, the TV RoboCop. Yeah. Well, okay. I bet most people have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he also directed the episode Honor Among Thieves from Deep Space Nine and two episodes from Star Trek Voyager, Prey and Relativity. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the specifics of any of those three episodes. No, but, I'm sure if I read the synopsis, I'd be like, those, there, yeah, there's but. something niggling in the back of my brain saying that those are pretty good episodes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then he directed a bunch of episodes for the TV show Andromeda. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, oops, I just kind of messed up my mic there. It's all right. That's right. It will. I'll, I'll edit it in post. It's fine. Oh, okay. You edit everything in post. Yeah. Except for the stuff that you don't. In any case, <laughs> uh, this story was by Brad Wright and Catherine Powers, our dear friend, Catherine, Catherine Powers. Powers. Catherine, she uh, also was the teleplay. Uh, she wrote the teleplay for this. So Brad, mm-hmm. of course, he's one of the creators of the show. Uh, we'll hear his name, of course, a lot as the series continues. Uh, even after Jonathan Glasner leaves the show, Brad Wright sticks around for all 10 seasons and ah, most okay. of of the Stargate universe that comes uh, following this. Um, let's see here. Uh, this is only the third time that we've heard his name so far. He was one of the writers for Children of the Gods, and then he also wrote The Enemy Within, mm-hmm. but then he's been silent uh, up to this point in time. Uh, so he helped write the story of this, and mm-hmm. then Catherine. Okay, and then Catherine. Our favorite writer, Catherine! Uh-huh. Um, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about Catherine. Just remind you that uh, she was the writer of the infamous Emancipation Boo. Brief Candle, eh. Thor's Hammer. Yay! And then <laughs> after this episode, she's got one more writing credit later this season. And then we have to bid her adieu. Wait, forever? Uh, so... This episode was originally aired originally aired on October 17, 1997. And can you guess, Brent, what was number one on the charts in the U.S. and in the U.K. at this point in time? Um, it's probably still going to be, uh, it's probably still Benny and the Jets. Because, yes, you're because, absolutely uh, right. Yeah, you know, everybody loves that mohair suit and electric oh, yeah. boots. Yeah. You know, yeah. I read it in a magazine. <clears throat> You read a magazine? Just one? No, I read it in a magazine. Oh. Oh. Hey, okay. hey <laughs> Benny and the Jets. Yeah, all Bum. right. Bum. All right. So, number one in both the US and the UK uh, is, in fact, Candle in the Wind by Elton John. <sighs> Man, that's it is, bad. It, it's, it was popular, uh-huh. <laughs> popular for a long time. Oh, uh, what were you thinking, 1990s people? Ha, ha. Well, they were, uh, they, were, they were sad that Princess died. Died. That's true. That's true. Okay. So what were people watching in the movie theaters this mm-hmm. week? They watched a, a new number one and a new number two. I know what you did last summer. And number hey! two, Devil's Advocate. I remember that movie. Yeah. Well, I remember I'm, the name. I didn't see oh, it. I, I didn't one see of it. No, I didn't care to see it. I don't. I absolutely. There's, there's right now. There's, 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 a, there's a dozen people right now just rolling their eyes right now going, I can't believe you didn't see that. Yeah, I'm sure there are. No, uh-huh. I don't know if there are a dozen people who are rolling their eyes. We only have like seven listeners. No, we don't. We have like 17. Oh, 
No, we got more than that. Anyway, no, we do. We sorry. Do. Okay, okay, sorry. <clears throat> Self-deprecation. <laughs> so right, what's so uh, three what else is, is kiss the girls four is seven years in Tibet, and mm-hmm. number five is in and out. In and out has in been out, staying yeah. on that top five for a long around. time. Because I gotta like that uh, Kevin Klein action. Yeah. So what else is happening on this day? Uh, back in 1997, well, Paul Edwin Zimmer, he's a sci-fi writer. He dies mm. of a heart attack at 54. I know mm. nothing about this man. All I know is that that's uh, once upon a time, 54 was old and uh, not so much anymore. Yep. And other than that, nothing happened. Nothing. It was a boring day. day. Nothing even really happened within. And I try to look, you know, plus or minus a Wait day a or minute. two. Um, but nothing I, really exciting. I'll tell you what happened. That was exciting. Fire okay. and water aired. Fire and water aired. That's right. On October 17th. So that is a, right. an exciting thing. Okay, so here's some trivia. So uh, when they're at Jackson's house, they, they show the Hound and Jackal board game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, we have had the board and pieces for this game uh, for centuries. And of course, the game itself is millennia old. Uh, we found pieces of this from the Middle Kingdom Egyptian tombs. Uh, but no one really knows the exact rules of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, they assume that it's probably something kind of like cribbage, but, you know, who knows? Nobody really knows mm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, there are several different uh, places even today that you can purchase the game, and they have uh, rules that hopefully are consistent. Uh, this episode was originally named Funeral for a Friend. And then they changed I, it to Fire and Water. Uh, coincidentally, my favorite Elton John song. Ah, well, there you go. Back to Elton. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Dr. Jackson's journal saying that he'll never get paid is a reference to the Stargate movie. Did you catch that? Uh, where in that movie, it's played by James Spader, but Jackson is is reminiscing and, and you're just, just frustrated with things as he's going through things. I'll never get paid. And uh, here this gets brought back echoed uh, back in with that yeah go back in that yep uh and at dr jackson's funeral uh some of those folks were actual u.s air force personnel i thought so um in fact uh, i got a quote here from brad wright uh i think it's brad right yeah he says in an episode called fire on water where daniel jackson is thought to be off world dead on a mission we called the air force and asked how they would do a color guard for a memorial and they said, well, why don't we send you one? And that's what you see in the episode. Actual U.S. Air Force personnel are holding the flag and doing salutes. So that, that definitely, like that color guard ceremony was way too crisp for it to be a bunch of uh, actors that just kind of like haphazardly figured out how to do it. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, though, <clears throat> you're telling me that a U.S. Air Force color guard went to Vancouver, British Columbia to perform an acting job. Something tells me that they were doing something else a little bit more uh, conspicuous. Hmm? Maybe. Hmm? Maybe. Hmm? Okay, your, your hmm reminds me of Braytech <laughs> from last week. Uh, but <laughs> Awesome. Um, uh, I, I will tease this for you a little bit, Brent. Uh, this will not be the last time that actual U.S. Air Force personnel will be on the show. Well, they're on all the time with the with the Cheyenne Mountain bee shots. Yeah, I, 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 no, I'm not talking about that. Oh, you're talking about something else. Okay. Yeah. Right. 
Okay. okay. All right. So, uh, the the actor who played Nem, uh, did you realize that guy had a name? You oh know, no, the, the, the I did not guy. know he had did, a name. Nope. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't either until just now. I mean, as just as <laughs> doing the show notes, uh, Nem. Okay, he's played by Gerard Plunkett. Uh, and I learned this as I was going through my show notes, as I was putting them together. He played another character on Stargate SG-1 in the Broca Divide. He was Counselor Tuplo in the Broca Divide. Uh, so I think that's the uh, sort of the, the main uh, man leader of the, the Minoan people in Broca Divide. Yeah, yeah, I can. Yeah, I so, can see it. Uh, you yeah. can through all that makeup you can tell well no it, yes exactly right i know what you're saying but yeah in the mannerisms in the sure. uh you know in 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 his cadence and style or whatever yeah i think so okay. maybe i'm just making it up maybe maybe he put a memory inside me Ooh, conspiracy theories yeah that's right all right uh and speaking of memories this is all about memories uh and one more trivia question uh trivia for you as far as i can tell uh omoroka is purely fictional yeah um you know some of the other ones uh the 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 uh i can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head uh but the one who supposedly killed omoroka is actually an historical figure Mm. uh as far as i can tell but omoroka is not Mm -hmm. so there you have it are we ready for a synopsis yeah, let's do it. All right. So once again, Stargate Command Wiki with my own edits. Mm-hmm. General Hammond and Radar are having a conversation <laughs> in Stargate Command when suddenly klaxons go off. There's an unscheduled activation of the Stargate. When it opens, SG-1's codes are transmitted. There is deep concern. Concern. SG-1 has only been gone for a few hours. Something must be wrong. As a precaution, a medical team is ordered to the gate room. Colonel Jack O'Neill, Captain Samantha Carter, and Teal'c return home. By the way, I had to cut this from the original because so in the original it's Colonel Jack O'Neill, Captain Samantha Carter, and Teal'c from Chulak. I'm like, why are we adding the Chulak bit there? Teal'c from Chulak, (laughs) Colonel Jack O'Neill from Earth, Captain Samantha Carter from Earth, and Teal'c from Chulak. (laughs) So I'm like, wait a second, that that's not necessary. So I yeah, no. Uh, okay, so those three return home from their mission to Oannes. Uh, I guess that's how you pronounce that. I didn't even know it had a name. Oannes. Uh, they were completely drenched and they were agitated. But where is Dr. Jackson? Still shocked and stunned, they report that Dr. Jackson is dead. Taken to the infirmary, the shell-shocked trio are examined. The images of Dr. Jackson burning to death on the planet haunting their minds. Even as they hear his cries for help, they feel the chill of their own submersion into a nearby ocean that saved their lives. When it is suggested they return to the planet to retrieve Jackson's body, they... The rest of SG-1 quickly reject the idea with horror on their faces. The planet is too volatile. It's not safe for anyone to go back. Dr. Jackson is given a full military funeral ceremony, and a wreath is sent through the Stargate. After the but funeral, to where, by the way? Well, that's a good question. I would assume that it's sent to the planet, but uh, it, it, we never know. Yeah, anyway, sorry, anyway, carry on. No, right, so after the funeral, Dr. Frazier insists that the team is given at least a week off-duty so that they can process what has happened to their teammate, despite General Hammond's belief that they ought to be thrown back into the line of duty as quickly as possible. 
Although Stargate Command believes Jackson to be dead, as the wreath is sent through the Stargate at Jackson's funeral, the camera pans through the wormhole, and we see Dr. Jackson sitting in a room very much alive, shouting for his teammates. Later, Jackson discovers that he is in fact trapped in a room deep under water. Soon he is confronted by an imposing alien. This alien points to the wall where an ancient form of earth writing, cuneiform, can be found. Jackson can read the cuneiform writing, but without any context it doesn't mean anything to him. The alien reacts angrily. Eventually, the alien seems to pick up on English and demands that Dr. Jackson answer him, What fate, Omaroka? What happened to this alien's mate? Daniel claims that he has no idea what this alien is talking about, but the alien has no patience for Daniel's ignorance and accuses him of lying. Earth is still enslaved by the Gua'uld, so he thinks, and therefore he assumes that Daniel is somehow working with the Gua'uld to prevent him from getting the information he desires. Jackson explodes in his own anger. He would never work for the Gua'uld. They stole his wife, his mate, and he despises the Gua'uld because of it. Why would he serve the race that took his wife away from him? Back on Earth, General Hammond gives SG-1 a special mission. Dr. Jackson's home needs to be packed up. At his house, the team reminisces about the, their departed friend, still haunted by the memory of what happened. They begin to wonder if Jackson is really dead. Later, we find the team and a large chunk of the SGC personnel at a wake for their departed comrade. O'Neill can't stop thinking about Daniel and reacts angrily, going so far as to smash out the window of General Hammond's car. When the general approaches his officer, O'Neill reveals once again he is considering retiring. Meanwhile, Jackson becomes more frustrated about his work for the alien, who also isn't much uh, of a help and who also only wants to know what happened to his mate. The alien, named Nem, insists that the information is in Daniel's mind, but Daniel can't remember. Even if he read it decades ago, that doesn't mean Daniel can simply pull up the desired information on the spot. But Nem has a procedure that, would, that could extract the forgotten information, but it would be dangerous for Jackson. He might not survive. Seeing no hope of escape until Nem's desire for information on Omaroko has been quenched, Jackson agrees to the procedure. In the SGC, Dr. Janet Frazier again examines the team and realizes that their memories have all been manipulated. Somehow their minds have been programmed to react in fear to the suggestion of returning to the planet. Dr. James McKenzie suggests hypnotism to get past these constructed memories to reveal what really happened on that planet. Carter agrees to be hypnotized by Dr. McKenzie. Under hypnosis, Carter remembers the mission as she works through the thoughts floating in her mind. She also remembers that they had been captured by an alien and were taken to a room. She breaks through the programming and realizes that SG-1's memories of Jackson's death are false. They left him back on the planet. So SG-1 gears up and plans for a rescue mission. They are going back to that planet and they won't leave without Jackson this time. On the planet, Jackson agrees to undergo the memory retrieval technique 
and despite the agonizing pain of this process, reveals that Omaroka was fighting against the Guauld on Earth and that the Guauld Bellus killed her. Pained by the news that his mate truly is dead, Nem wails in despair. Despite this, having gotten his answer, Nem agrees to let Jackson go. They return to the surface where Serendipity provides SG-1's presence on the shoreline (laughs) looking for Daniel. Serendipity. Dr. Jackson wonders if the humans of the Earth and Nem might become allies. In In time, perhaps they could become allies. And perhaps in time, Daniel will learn the fate of his wife, Sharae. Nim returns to the ocean, while Dr. Jackson and SG-1 return to Earth. And scene. Scene. All right. So, Brent, Mm -hmm. what did you think of Fire and Water? So, I was super duper excited. Uh, Again, this is going to be like a recurring theme. You're going to ask me how I th- how I uh, how I liked it, whatever the episode is, and I'm going to respond with saying I was really excited to see blah, and then, um, <laughs> in this case, it was fine. It was so I thought from the promo that it was going to be really, really good, like really good. I mean, it seemed to have all the makings of you know a nice uh, kind of. Uh, emotional roller coaster episode uh you know obviously there's going to be some you know crew members dead tension and uh, obviously it's going to have to get resolved in another way you know some way yep probably i i, I guess it was possible when you were watching the show back then that you didn't really know if daniel jackson was actually going to come back or not you know this might be the mid-season twist right like Find out when they lose a major crew member. Which one is it? Um, well, keep in mind also that the 90s had this trope of early season episodes where one of the main characters dies, quote, mm-hmm. uh, and then comes back to life in some way. Or everybody thinks he's dead. And I mean, Star Trek does this. Yeah, uh, right. You know, Stargate's doing this. I, it's right. in other places as well. Uh, um, Buffy did it. Uh, and Angel mm-hmm. did it, although when Angel did it, spoilers, he actually died. <laughs> like, for real? Like, actually, like, see you later, Well, bye. no, not, not the, the character actually died. I don't think the No, I, yeah, I know. Right, I'm sorry. Right, I, right. But, but so, like, in Angel, this is way off topic, but in Angel, um, there are, like, two or maybe three starring characters, uh, like, title characters mm-hmm. uh, for the first three episodes. And, like, in episode three, one of the title characters is killed off. Boom. End of story. Sounds like Joss Whedon to me. It does sound like Joss Whedon. Yeah. Uh, And, uh, you know, keen, uh, keen observers of some of the more recent uh, uh, television uh, blockbusters will remember that Game of Thrones does this pretty, pretty epically there at the beginning. (laughs) Uh, Not the beginning, I guess the end, but whatever. Dead. Dead. Not coming back. Dead. Hey, hey, oh, spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Ah, I haven't ah, even ah. watched the show, and I know that. So, oh, there's yeah, spoiler. no, 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 no. Again, if anybody's complaining about us doing things, anyway, anyway, anyway. so things that I, so you know, I, I was really kind of jamming on the, um, I don't know, the polish of this episode. Uh, the sets were pretty cool. I mean, they, they, they kind of still had a little bit of television cheapness to them, but mm-hmm. the makeup, man, the makeup for what's his face was great yeah. the little gills the gills yeah. that flop up and down like, I, I like you know, that. Like, it was good 
it was Star Trek level. You know, that was that was some yeah, high quality some, stuff some, that they were some doing. Michael there. Westmore type makeup. Uh-huh. Um and uh <coughs> sorry. <clears throat> the um yeah, so th- there was a lot about it that was visually quite nice, uh, like the matte painting at the end when they went to uh, visit, or well, when Jackson was recalling their expedition to the planet. I mean, it was very evidently a pretty hardcore matte painting because, you know, the coastline goes up to a certain point and then like veers to the left. But um, <laughs> it doesn't matter, though, because it just looks kind of cool because there's all these humongous celestial objects that are yeah. floating off in, this, in the distance. And uh, it was good. I, I liked that. I thought it was pretty yep. neat. Yeah. You know, I, I liked how this episode started. Um, mm-hmm. I thought, you know, it was just sort of this normal day at the SJC, and then the klaxons go off, and then, boom, you jump right into it. Jackson's dead. Holy mm-hmm. smokes. Yeah. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. And, and personally, I just, I liked, I really was pleased with the pacing and how things were going at the beginning. And then after the, the, color, the, the, the funeral ceremony where the wreath is sent through the Stargate, yeah. That for me is where things begin to really fall down. Yeah, like there was definitely some like plodding along yeah. elements. Like it, it was almost like they were trying to pack in. T- it's kind of in, I, I, as I'm thinking about it, it's as if they were trying to pack in too much of a story. Uh, and so as a result, they could only tell like little bits before cutting back to the other spot. Yeah. Yeah. And then tell a little bit, and then cut back, and then tell a little bit. But, but as I'm saying it, that doesn't really ring that true, just because there wasn't an awful lot of story in here. Jackson was gone. The SG-1 teams think he's dead, and so there's the arc of discovering that he's not dead through their own heads. And yeah. then there's the arc of, here's Jackson, really not dead, and uh, going through the arc of uh, establishing some kind of trust and rapport with this alien dude who wants to know what happened to his dead, his long-lost mate. By the way, this guy has to be some seriously old guy. No kidding. I mean, like multiple thousands of years old. Right. Uh, which is really impressive. Got some lobster DNA or something in him. You know, something like that. Um, you know, I personally, I liked the scene at Jackson's house when they were just kind of looking through his stuff and, and just mm-hmm. kind of rem- reminiscing. Um, I liked that. I liked the wake. Uh, um, I just, it just kind of, you know, Teal is like, what are we supposed to do here? And like, we're, we're supposed to talk about it, you know, share our stories. And then of course you've got, um, you know, O'Neill getting frustrated and then uh, smashing the car window with his, uh, uh, with his hockey stick. I think there was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was a hockey stick. Um, Something about that wake scene just felt weird to me. And I'm not exactly. Well, it could be that it just felt a little bit too much like a casual party. Which I know was kind of the point. The point of a wake is to reminisce and share good stories about the person so that you remember them fondly. And, and, um, but there's, but in real life, there's still this, like, there's still this somberness to it. There's still this, um, bittersweet aspect to it and you know the the main actors were trying to convey that for sure and especially when they started to kind of fall into their little uh memory traps by pouring beers um but everybody else like in the entire place just felt a little too like you know da 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 hey you're having a good time with the week <laughs> i i can hey, i can understand, i can see that jalapeno popper <laughs> yeah. i can understand that i can understand that but uh 
Um, the couple and of then things, the, oh, but the car glass, the car glass shattering like that. Boy, that thing really, that thing really exploded. Kapow. Well, that have you ever shattered your car window? No, that's, that's kind of what it looks like. Yeah. So back when I was in probably high school, I was uh, mowing the lawn and uh, I hit a rock. <laughs> oh, boy. And uh, so, you know, we, one of our cars was sitting uh, on the side of the road. And that rock shot out of that lawnmower and just shattered the window of it. Suffice no. to say, my parents were not no. thrilled. Um, yeah. But they couldn't get mad at me too much because, you know, I mean, you know, it's, what are you going to do? Uh, but, but yeah, so the, it, that, that was not, that was a real effect. I mean, that was really him just smashing that car just window. nailing that car window. <clears throat> yeah and and thank goodness they added that throwaway line in there about it being um general you know it's my car and you should get your window just fixed. Had a brain fart yeah, yeah because him. because it was definitely like reading like the dude just totally vandalized a car granted he's angry and such but you know like everybody's yeah. just like chill like hey whatever and uh thank goodness everybody's chill is because it's the general's car and he's the one who's given you know and, and he's, he's just like, yeah, don't worry about it. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Um, so, as I look at this episode, I've got a couple of things that frustrated me about it. Mm-hmm. A, we've kind of mentioned it was slow pacing. It just kind of mm-hmm. plods along and just kind of goes. And and then, frankly, Nim, I learned his name now. Nim, mm-hmm. why is he so bloody angry? Now, I can understand being angry, you know, about the ghoul world and all of that stuff. Okay, I get that. But but some of his behaviors and and they don't seem to mesh. Uh, you know, he's so angry and volatile about towards the ghoul world. And he thinks that that because Tioka has a ghoul world that, that they must be still under the authority of the ghoul world. And so what does he do with three fourths of this team? Sends them back. Mm-hmm. Why? I don't get it. And then, of course, um, you know, he has this ability to dig into Jackson's memory to find out what the information is. He dug in enough to know that apparently the information is there. He doesn't dig far enough. Why? If this is your enemy, why? I mean, the only thing I can think of is that this is such a risky procedure, and this is the only snip of little information that he has found in 3,000 years or however many okay, years it's been. Yeah. Uh, but, but while it is definitely painful and the risk is there, when we actually get to the procedure, it's not like Jackson is harmed in any way significantly. You, good, good job on the retcon there because I was also very much of the mindset of, you know, wait a minute, he had the ability to go into this guy's mind the entire time, but somehow his hand got stayed like you might die is his excuse there towards the end after they've become buddy buddy but at the very beginning of the encounter he's not friends with them whatsoever and so yeah good job zach on having this uh explanation that could be well uh, I'm, if, still, uh, I'm still not buying it my own retcon there well i mean but it's, it's at least it's, it's at least it has an assemblance of possibility Versus where I'm coming from, where it's like, why did you cool your jets? Like, if you could just, like, crack open this guy's skull and read his brains like a book, why did you not do that? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you think he's your enemy. Right. 
precisely. Um, you know, I mean, if this is one of your friends who you discover has this information locked in, then I can understand. Okay, I don't want to, you know, I, I would never unwillingly subject you to something like that because, uh, yeah, that would be bad. Yep, right. <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, if he's completely your enemy and you just, like, were, you know, ranting and raving and throwing things, um, yeah, I, I, that I don't buy. So other things that I have to say about this mm-hmm. episode, uh, Radar's back. Yay! You know, he, you know, he was not around last episode, uh, but he's back in this episode. Was he credited? Did he finally get his uh, name on the billing? Well, I, I, the, the actor was credited. That's what I mean. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure he was. Uh, he gets credited for a lot of things, um, but he still doesn't have an actual name. Still other than name. Just Radar. Radar. Um. So I have one more thing to do, but before I go there, I'm going to invite you to share any other odds and sods or or anything else that you want to. Well, <clears throat> this one was definitely a lot of fun, but as as will be revealed when we start giving our Chevron ratings, I think that the Catherine Power scale is a bit of a sine wave. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So <laughs> so this episode here, and this, this is something that that I kind of noticed as I look at this first season. Uh, as a whole, especially sort of like the last half of it. So the last several episodes that we've had, and frankly, we'll see this in the next few episodes going forward in this one here. Um, they all kind of feel like the writers are throwing everything out at the wall mm-hmm. and seeing what sticks. I mean, they're just like, let me throw that out the wall. Mm-hmm. Let me throw that out the wall. Let me throw that at the wall. And, and now, you know, for me to look back at it, I can say, oh, yeah, that didn't work. That didn't work. That worked. Yeah. Uh, that worked. You know, uh, I, I'm, I'm quite certain that I, I give uh, Bloodlines from last week a bigger pass than I'm going to give this in here. Because I know that a lot of those characters come back. Oh, and they're yeah. good characters. Yeah. And I love those characters. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give them a pass. Um, but, you know, spoiler, Brent, we're never going to see Nam again. Yeah. That, that it just, yeah. I mean, but I can see where you're going with that one because I also was kind of picking up on the little clue there. That his species uh, visited Earth in some kind of effort to fight against the Gould back in like in Babylon, right? You know, there's a lot in there right. that could totally be a hook for a later a hook. Get it? Hook fish uh, hook um, uh, for I later for later stuff. But um, swimming in a broad pool, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it, spoilers aside, you know, I'm fine with knowing that I'll never see this character again. But I can see what you mean because if if that storyline had uh, had sunk in, sunk in, um, uh, <laughs> uh, it would. Uh, <laughs> it could it could have gone somewhere. You know, that, that, this, this idea of, of a little like ancient battle between whoever, whatever species Nem was and, um, the would be interesting. Yeah. Um, but suffice it to say, this one didn't go. Mm -hmm. So, uh, well, with that, Brent, is there any other comment you have to say about fire and water? No, but apparently, um, Ash the cat, I don't know if you could hear him in the background, but he was sitting there just yelling. Just being all like, well, I, this I episode, this episode was so terrible. You should really <laughs> chop up that fish man and feed him to me for dinner. I could totally hear Ash saying that. Yeah, he's brutal. <laughs> yep. So, Brent. Yes. Out of seven chevrons, mm-hmm. how would you rate fire 
and water. So I appreciate that the episode really did kind of do a bit of a television trope, but it's still okay, where it shows the crew reacting to the death of a close friend. Um, and oh, wait, he's not really dead. And, you know, there's some emotion to play with, and there's some elements about it that you want to try to explore. I also really did like what they were doing with Daniel Jackson, honestly. Like, I think that the storytelling and his acting, you know, there was there was some stuff in here. So it's it was it was a good time. Um, hey, Brent, I want to pause you right yeah. there and I'm going to go back into our last segment because, you know, last week we were talking about uh, uh, Jackson and his motivation with Shao Ray and yeah. whatnot. Um, and you were mentioned that you liked the this this one with Jackson. I actually do. I like it, like mm-hmm. it with Jackson. Um, what did you think about it this time? Where, where, where his, you know, how did that feel for you this time? With his uh, motivations with, with Charé? With his motivations in Charé and and It and felt everything. a heck of a lot more realistic. Like, it, just in his acting, or eh, realistic might not be the right way to say it. Um, it felt more genuine mm-hmm. uh, this time around. And I think it was because there was something to play off of. They both had lost uh, a mate to the Gould. And so mm-hmm. it just, it, it yeah. felt like it was a little bit more, uh, not plausible, but... Um, genuine yeah you know it was just it was more genuine yeah whereas before at least it seems like all the way up until now his his connection his motivation as to what um his motivation around charay kind of continually felt like something that had been tacked on like oh right and charay um uh you know like last week him him kind of going banana cakes and blowing up the uh, larva reservoir felt out of character just because he hasn't been such a prone to violence person. That's not his style. Right. <clears throat> it was felt just out of the blue. Today, his compassionate frustration, um, where uh, it's a moment of bonding with his captor because they both have lost something to this common enemy, that one felt a heck of a lot more plausible. And more genuine yeah. to the character type. Yep. Cool. So um, I agree. Yeah. So. So, oh, anything else on that one? Nope. All right. Nope. So all this to get together. Uh, I had a good time with this episode. Uh, there was a lot of visual candy. There was some nice storyline. Felt a little weird at points, and some spots were kind of a little lumpy, but not too bad overall. So I'm going to give it a four out of seven chevrons. Ooh, Brenton gives this a four. So. Um, Going into this watching of Stargate SG-1, I remember Fire and Water as being basically the second worst episode of SG-1. <laughs> uh, I, I, I just, you know, it's like you, you could take this one and Emancipation and chuck them out the window and you would be fine. Um, <laughs> I didn't think it was um, that bad. Well, no, I mean, I'm, you know, <clears throat> this, this time around, I'm you know, rewatching it. Um, you know, I think maybe my memory is perhaps a little bit more harsh than it ought to be. <laughs> um, still, and I will say that, you know, talking this with you, this is sort of like, what was it? The first commandment yeah. or whatever it was, um, you know, that, that, uh, talking this out with you, um, has increased my appreciation of this episode from Good. where I thought it was before. 
Uh, still, I cannot give it a four. Uh, uh, this, this is still... Um, no, let's see here. I, I've got to say that uh, Bloodlines, in my opinion, has to be better than this. This is a 2.5. 2.5? Uh, 2.5. Holy cow! Um, I... You know, you know what? No, no, I'll be. I'll, I, I changed my mind. I'm going to go up to all the way. I'm going to give it a three. I'll yeah. Give it a three. Uh, you, you convinced me. You pulled out that half of a point there. Um, I'm going to have to go. Uh, I'm going to have to go back over the rating specifically. With, with, we don't have to get into it this second of Catherine Powers's because we were starting to do that, right? You know, like, you oh, know, yeah. What, well, I have them right here. I can, I can toss them out there if, we, if you want. Uh, oh no! You've you've got a time limit. So we I do have a time limit. Yeah, we do have to. All get, right. So to wrap this up. So uh, the next episode, Brent, mm-hmm. is called Hathor. Mm-hmm. Tell me about Hathor. Boy, they are seriously not giving me anything to work on, are they? Hathor. Well, if you knew your Egyptian mythology, I don't know my Egyptian mythology that well. Oh, <sighs> well, fine. All right. Hathor. I'll give you a hint. Okay, yeah, I'll take a hint. Hathor is a woman. That's a terrible hint, Zach. <laughs> okay, okay. All right, all right. Uh, other things, I don't know a whole lot about Hathor in Egyptian mythology. Uh, she is, I think she was married to uh, to Zeus. Yeah. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Ra. little Cleopatra action there? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think she was married to Ra, uh, and... Uh, maybe she's the mother of Ra. That could be the connection. I can't remember. Uh, well, but but that, that idea of being the mother of does uh, is part of, okay. of uh, All right. the Hathor. So, uh, so I'll run with that. Okay. <clears throat> the SG-1 team goes through the gate and finds themselves face to face with an unexpected but no less dangerous enemy. By the way, I can do this really well right now because my throat is like a little bit raw because of all the well, coughing. Well, then keep it up. Keep going. Right. Dr. Jackson, fresh from his expedition underwater, suddenly discovers that he is face to face with the mother of humanity. This is amazing, he says to the team. I can't believe it that we're actually standing face to face with the mother of humanity. What are you talking about, Jackson, says Colonel O'Neill. So the crew and the team, they go through the gate and they go find something that is is apparently the beginning of humankind. And Jackson's really excited to see it. And O'Neill is a little like skeptical about what the heck he's talking about, especially because somehow this thing is being labeled as Hathor who has some motherly thing in Egyptian mythology. I am purposefully staying away from the idea of it being the mother of the ghoul because I'm pretty sure that's real, and I'm trying to make something funny here, and I am struggling because they gave me nothing except for a word, Hathor. Uh. Well, Brent, I appreciate the... You, it, it always boggles me where you go with these i have fun with them oh well okay. good because I, I i came up i came up short um okay the the team the team finds this mothery figure and uh they have to struggle with uh coming to grips with their own identity oh because yeah maybe she's like uh what's the what's the phenomenon where the 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 cosmos seed the planet of life i can't remember what the term is uh i don't know yeah xeno something anyway sure yeah that was that's my take on hathor 
All right. So, shall we watch the promo? We shall. Let me get myself in the right spot. Uh, all right. Are you ready? Um, almost. I was ready. I'm not ready anymore. Oh, man. Here we go. Hathor, Hathor. Okay, great. Yes, I am ready. All right, go. All right. Discovered after 2,000 years. We are the mother of all gods. Of course we are. This alien uh-huh. seductress has a powerful way of controlling men. Oh, my, this my. has all you guys under some sort of spell. But her beauty hides a deadly purpose. I'm like a queen bee. You create the ghouls. The space will become. Of course she does. Of course she creates the ghouls. One apart. Stand down, Captain Carter. Unless you plan to kill him on the next Stargate SG One. No. Bang! 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 Oh man! Oh man! What is gonna happen? What's gonna happen with 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 the with the mother of all the gods and the ghouls? We will have to wait and find out next time, Brent. Yeah. When we discuss the episode Hathor. Hathor. Uh, and with that, uh, tell us what you think about the episode Fire and Water. Tell us what you think about Hathor. Tell us what you think about Brent's hair. Tell us what you Still think about whatever it. you want to. You can email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. You can uh, direct message us on Twitter at Stargate Walking. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you can go to our brand new Facebook page, like us on the Facebook page, Walking Through the Stargate, nice. and chat with us there. Uh, so you have lots of ways to get a hold of us. Please do rate us, review us, and all of those things. And with that, Brent, you have yeah. any last comments? Um, no, this was okay. This, I, I didn't think it was quite as bad as you were. You have the benefit of understanding the whole story arc. So you probably look at this one and go, eh, they never come to it anyway, and it's kind of a gross story, so pew, off it goes. I had fun yeah. with this one. Yeah, but there you go. There you go. Well, that's fine. That's good. I'm glad you had fun with it, because yeah. that's what this show's about. This is about having fun. <laughs> we are hedonistic Hathorians. Uh, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, is right. that how it goes? All right. Okay. <laughs> all right. I don't know. Good for the prep, but thanks, what, thanks for the warning. Know. Yeah. Now we can dive uh, in with both okay. feet. Yeah. Okay. So... Huh. Uh, With that, uh, I'm Zach. I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. See ya. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.